0: This morning, we're going to be in a a couple different passages, but the the name for today is Son of God. Say with me, Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's why we're here, right? In John 10, I thought this was an appropriate passage for today. I planned this out a couple months ago. It's cool. John 10, verse 22, it was now winter. (laughs) Appropriate for this morning. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Do you remember when we were in John 10 a couple weeks ago, there was a big point that, we, that I was emphasizing from that first part of the passage, where Jesus says, My sheep know my voice. This was earlier in this passage, same passage. My sheep know my voice. You know the voice of your shepherd. You do. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you know his voice. He adds to that. Listen, my sheep listen to my voice, he says. In verse 27, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me. And is more powerful than anyone else. Can I get an amen? God is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch you. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, At my Father's direction I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You are a mere man. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are God's. That's an interesting passage. Psalm 84, it's a psalm of Asaph. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. The scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left him. I want to know what that was like. It doesn't say anything how that happened, but they're trying to get him and he gets away. Maybe it was like when they were trying to push him off the cliff and it says that he just walked through their midst. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs. They remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. Jesus stands in front of the leaders of the people in the temple. This is happening in the temple where the presence of God in the Jewish religion was made manifest. And he says to the people, I'm the son of God. You can believe in me because of the work I do. Jesus told a story, it's well known, in Luke 15. And it's one of those stories that we've heard so many times that I think we can read it or hear it and we can miss it. We can miss the the impact of it. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of the prodigal sons. There were two sons and they had a father and he owned some land. He was apparently a, a wealthy man. And the youngest son said to his father, I'd like my share of the inheritance, which is paramount. It's the same as saying, I wish you were dead. So um the younger son comes to the father and says I wish you were dead so I can have what's coming to me which is quite a thing to hear as a dad I can't imagine put yourself in put yourself in his place for a moment put yourself in your imagination in the father's place you have this child that you've raised and fed and clothed and taught and you were there when he took his first steps and You changed his diapers, and you've invested blood, sweat, and tears into this kid. And now he's an independent young man, and he looks you in the eye and says, I wish you were dead. Oh, man. So the father gives him his share of the inheritance, and the young man takes that Stuff, whatever it was, the monetary value. I I don't know if the father sold part of the land and it went to another family or or what the deal was, but he, he gives the younger son the share of the inheritance and the younger son goes off to the Las Vegas of his day and spends it in gambling and loose living and partying and just having a grand old time. And soon enough, he loses everything he has One of this is interesting. One of the things about this story that most Westerners, those of us from the Western world, miss is that it specifically says there arose a famine in the land. We, anybody in here ever experienced a famine? A true famine? So when you're in a place outside of the first world, um, whether it's an agricultural, place or, or whatever, a famine has a very different impact um, on people than it does here. We, we are Americans and we tend to say people need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps, right? He, this young man got what's coming to him. And there's an element of that. The young man squandered his money and um, he, he lived very foolishly. But people who grow up in true poverty understand the impact of this verse in a very different way than those of us who don't. There arose a famine in the land. So what was in his control, he was foolish with, but there were also things that were completely outside of his control that he was just in the midst of. So even if he would have tried his hardest to pick himself up, even if he would have, you know, tried his best to go back to school or whatever it was to get a good education or get a good job to work hard, he's willing to do whatever, it wasn't an option. There was nothing left because there was a famine in the land. And so it's interesting. I think people who don't grow up in our context actually understand that a lot better than we understand um, what it's like to truly, truly be in a place of poverty where there is no option for you, not even if you work harder. So this young man experienced that. He was foolish and he lost everything he had, but then there was a famine. And so he's stuck between a rock and a hard place because even if he changes, it's not going to change anything. And it says the young man came to his senses while he was eating, trying to eat the food of pigs, which is, you know, for any Jewish person is just the worst of the worst, right? Because not only are pigs unclean, but you're talking about the stuff that pigs eat and live in. And it says the young man came to his senses. It was like he was in some sort of stupor and he woke up to his senses and said, what am I doing? Even my father's servants have something to eat. So he begins to rehearse a speech in his mind. Do you remember it? I've I've been foolish. I don't deserve to live. I deserve to die. Just take me in, Dad, and I'll be a servant to you. I'm not fit to be your son anymore. And so he starts the long journey home. And you can just imagine this young man, Kind of rehearsing this speech, he's like, oh, how am I going to say this? He's nervous about it. And he's coming home. And the father standing says, the father sees him a far way off. And the father, specifically, it says that he ran to him. Now, in that culture, an old man does not run. Under any circumstance. Because it looks silly. It is undignified. And this is a man that's well to do. Who's got some authority. And has some respectability. And he sees his kid. This young man. It says It's like he's waiting. He's anticipating. He's, he's looking. And he sees him coming. And he says. I don't care about any of that. And he goes running to him and embraces him. And the kid, the young man, starts to give his speech. And he says, I've sinned against heaven and against earth against you. I'm not fit to be called your son. And the father cuts him off and doesn't let him even finish. So he never even finishes what he's going to say because the dad doesn't care. He doesn't care what this kid has to say. He puts his robe on him. He puts new shoes on his feet. And then he embraces him in the hug of a father as if nothing has happened. He brings him inside. He calls all the town together, their little village, and he says, Let's throw a party, right? And invite everyone. My son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Maybe you've sung those words before. Ever sung them? I was lost, now I'm found. That's where that comes from. The father says, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. But this wasn't the only brother. There's another brother in the story, right? The other brother is out back in the field, and he's working, and he starts to smell some barbecue. Out in the field, and he's, what's going on? There's a lot of commotion over there. This is unusual, and so he goes back to the house, and he asks one of the servants, "What's happening?" And so the servant tells him what happened. Your younger brother came home, and your dad's throwing him a party, and the older brother is filled. With rage. He's filled with anger. How dare. Not only him come back. And show his face here. How dare my father. Rejoice in his returning. Because I've been out there. And if you follow the text. What he's saying is. I've been out there slaving away. For him. And he's never so much given me. A goat. I don't maybe out here you've been given a goat before. I've never been given a goat either. <laughs> he says to the servant, How dare this happen? My dad's never done anything for me like this, and I've been slaving away. So just as the father went out to bring the younger son in, the father goes out to bring the older son in. And he says the same thing to him. Son, he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. But he also says to him, Everything I have is yours. It's not really, in other words, it's not really mine to give you, anyways. It's already yours. I already gave it to you. It belongs to you. You're my namesake. You're going to inherit everything that's left. Why are you jealous? We don't know what happens to the older brother. It's kind of like the end of Job, or not the end of Job, the end of um, Jonah, where Jonah's sitting outside the city, and God has a conversation with him and, and kind of rebukes him and teaches him, and we don't know if Jonah has a change of heart or not. And just in the same way, this older brother's a lot like Jonah, right? He's, he's like self-righteous and doesn't want Nineveh or his younger brother to receive salvation And so we don't know if the older brother goes in or not. This has been talked about by many, many people, and I'm I'm sure you've thought about this before, but both sons are equally lost, right? Both of them. Both sons are in the exact same place. And we can be just as lost in religion as we are lost in sin. The younger brother squanders everything and runs out, and he's lost in sin, the older brother's Stuck in a religious mindset. Religion in the sense of of rules without relationship. So the, the son thinks of his relationship with the father in a contractual way, not a covenantal way. So when he thinks of dad, he thinks of himself as a slave. He thinks of himself as a servant. Which is quite the way to think of yourself if you're a child. I really, really hope my kids don't think of themselves as my servant although I want them to do what I tell them. (laughs) But it's because I love them. Because I'm their dad. Because in some ways, in many ways, I know what's better for them than they know what is good for themselves. As I was pondering this story a while back, a question popped into my head about this story. And I've since... Come across a couple of other people who have written about the parable from this angle, so this is nothing original, um, but it was new to me at the time. At least I hadn't thought through it in quite this way. But the question came into my mind: What if the older brother would have gone after the younger brother? What if the older brother would have been so secure in who he was and his relationship with his dad that he would have said, "You know what? My dad's heartbroken." Right now, he's lost his son. I'm going to go chase him down. I'm going to go after him. What if he would have said, Dad, give me what I need for the journey. Not because I want to squander it, but because I'm going to need some provisions in order to make it to the destination. What do you think the dad would have done? Yes, my son. Go, go bring your brother home. Because I know if he sees my face right now, He wants nothing to do with me. He told me he wants me dead. What if the older brother would have gone after the younger son and chased him down and found him in the brothel, walked in that door and said, yo, dad's waiting at home. It's time to go. I don't know what the response would have been. The younger son may have laughed at him in front of his new friends and said, look at this moron. Right? Let's make fun of them together. Or maybe the sight of his brother. You ever been in a situation that you're looking for a way out and like you don't know how to get out of it and your stubbornness keeps you in it? You know what I'm talking about? You've been there, right? Where you where you have the hardest time getting out, and what it takes is just someone saying, Come on, get out of this. Like, wake up! This is ridiculous. Maybe it would have been like that. The older brother comes in and says, dude, it's time to go home. What are you doing? And maybe he would have come to his senses in a way less painful way. And would have come home with the brother. And then the brother would have been leading the party. And the brother would have been like the conquering hero, right? When he comes home. I don't know what would have happened. I have no idea what would have happened if the the older brother would have happened. At least in the parable, I have no idea. I do know this though. In the actual story, that's exactly what happened. Because who's the firstborn of our father? Who's the firstborn of our father? Jesus. Jesus. We, the younger son, said to the father, I wish you were dead. Anytime we choose to live our own way, any time we reject God or His Spirit working in our life, this is what we're saying to Him. You're dead to me. This is the great rebellion of mankind. Saying to our Creator, our Father, you are dead to me. When we rebel against Him, this is what we do. We reject the relationship between Father and children it's my way it's my life it's my inheritance this is the great cry of our age it's my life I get to choose how to live it I get to choose where I live I get to choose what I eat I get to choose where I work I get to choose what I do I get to choose who I marry I get to choose what my life is like I get to choose how I dress I get to choose what I watch I get to choose I get to choose I get to choose I get to choose this is the cry of our age. Is it not? It's my way. How many songs, I can't, I've lost count of how many songs say this, It's my life. From, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra, to, uh, what's what's the hair band? Bon Jovi.
1: Right? There's so
0: many songs. If you listen, if you listen to the lyrics, there are so many songs that say, It's my life. You're dead to me. It's my life. Give me my inheritance. I want the life. I want all the good things you have to offer me that you've given me. Give it to me, but leave me alone. And you can be an older son, and you can be in religion and have the exact same attitude. You can be just as lost. So there's no one that's clean in this situation. There's no brother that's better than any other brother in this situation. Whether you have a tendency um, to, to servanthood and slavehood, or whether you have a tendency to squandering and chasing after, you know, fantasies and fun things, you're just as lost. And ultimately, it's the same thing where you're saying to God, you're dead to me, I want my inheritance, I want what's coming to me, give me, and I'm going to choose how I live it. Jesus, the firstborn son of our father, when all of us had said you're dead to me, and we ran off, Jesus says to his father, I'll go. I'll go. Send me. I will gladly go. And the word of God, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, the creator of the universe, becomes a baby. The Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. And He went into our brothels, and He went into our lifeless churches, and He went to our meaningless sa- places of sacrifice. And he went into our schools and he went into our homes and he made himself present wherever the word of God goes. And he says to us, come home. Dad's waiting for you. Come home with me. He doesn't stand outside the house, though he has every right. He doesn't stand outside and say to the Father, everything belongs to me, don't give anything to them. You know what they said to you. He himself entered into to the pigsties and the mud pits, the places of slavery and servitude, and he took us by the hand and said, come on, let's go home. And he not only brings us home, but then he himself is the one who throws the party. Every time a lost sheep, what happens? Every time a lost sheep is found. All of heaven rejoices. Let's throw a party, God. Let's throw a party, Dad. Another one has come home. Are you with me? You hear me? Come on. This is awesome. Every single time, every single time he enters into our mess and he brings us home, all of heaven stops what they're doing and throws a party. And Jesus himself is the MC, the master of ceremonies. He's got the mic, he's standing up front, he's leading the songs, he's leading the charge, he's hanging the banners, he's doing everything to make this the greatest party that has ever happened. Man, that's awesome! Because he had every right to be like, it's all mine. These punks deserve nothing. But he himself is the one who throws the party. Jesus is the older brother, and he came off after us with everything. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God. This is that thought I'm trying to convey. Like God comes this person. God for whom and through whom everything was made. Chose to bring many children into glory. He chose. God chose to bring us into glory. God chose to bring us into the party. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. Fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy, you're white as snow. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. You are holy before God. You know, it's an invitation when God says, therefore be holy as I am holy. That's an invitation. It's a command, but it's an invitation. Be holy as I'm holy. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus calls you his brother and his sister. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God have given me. That's an interesting phrase. It reminds me of Joshua when he says, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Jesus says to the father, me and my house... We're going to worship you, God. I will put my trust in him, that is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Paul says it this way, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Here's a spiritual discipline or practice for you. Every time you get dressed, put on Christ. Just remind yourself, when you wake up in the morning and you change from your PJs to your suit and tie, because all of you wear suit and ties, right? <laughs> you When you're getting dressed, put on Christ. All of you have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In John 10, where we started, what did Jesus say? He said, I and the Father are one. You are all one. You and the Father are one. Through Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. But when the right time came, when everything was perfectly ready, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba! Father! Now you are no longer a slave. Don't stand outside and look at the party and act like a slave, because you're not a slave. Don't don't interact with God just the rules. Have a relationship with him, which includes obedience. Join the party. Because we are his children, the spirit wells up within us and cries out, Abba, Father, verse 7, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So even though you said to God, and I said to God, we all said to God, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance, and he gives it to us. He lets us live our life however we choose in many ways, squandering our inheritance. He then says to us, "Having bought us back, I've still sealed you with my inheritance." Isn't that amazing? So in the in the picture, and at the end, it'll be up in the picture uh, of the prodigal son. Um, it's by Rembrandt. It's incredible painting, all the details in there. But you'll notice the sun has one thing on him in the picture. He still has his sword. He's, lo- he's in rags, his head is shaved, his feet are bare. He's lost all the signs of his dignity in every way, except for one. He still has his sword. Which was Rembrandt's way of saying, in God, as a child of God, when we come home you cannot lose your inheritance you are still the son this is probably for me personally my favorite thing to talk about as a as a pastor as a shepherd as a leader and as a child because as I've, I grew up in the church, I grew up with in a, in a great church where the word of God was honored and under good teaching. And there's a lot of things that I've had to work through in my life about trying to figure out what's important, what's little things that, you know, in certain streams get raised to higher importance than in other places. All that to say, the longer I've walked with God, the central message that stands out in Scripture and the central message that God continues to stir within me is the Spirit of God through the blood of Christ welling up within me and saying, Abba, Father. Now that has implications in two directions. It has implications in the sense that I can know him that way The God of the universe, the name that he's revealed, and this, this is where our whole series will culminate, the most intimate, personal name that he has revealed is Father. That is the name God desires for you to most know him as, Father. The Spirit of God ministering within us causes us to call him what? Father. Abba. Daddy, Father. Christ is our brother. What? That? I, I can't get my mind around that. God Almighty, the Son of God, the Word of God, log us. He calls himself my brother. He calls me his brother. I don't feel worthy of that. Can you relate? I don't, yes. I don't feel worthy of, of calling him brother, and yet the Word of God stands firm where God's firstborn son looks at me as his little brother that he forsook everything to come after. So for me, this is the message and I look to teach it from a thousand directions because we've got to hear it a thousand different ways because we're so messed up in our thinking and I need to hear it a million times because of the work of Christ in my life. I am God's son, and he is my father, so live like it. Because of the work of Christ in your life, you are God's child. He is your father, your Abba father, so live like it. Live like it. The names we've looked at so far, the whole premise of this this series is that our name is based on his name. We have power to live in the names that he gives us only when we first receive the power of his name. He is our shepherd, so we are his sheep. He is our healer, so we are his temple. We house his presence. He is our banner, which waves over us victoriously, so we ourselves are victorious. He is the word of God. And because he's the word of God, he is wisdom itself. We are enlightened And we are the light of the world. Can you click to the next slide? I have no idea where I put the clicker. I've been walking around. He is the son of God. And you are his adopted child. You are the child of God. Will you open your hands in a posture of receiving and just allow God to speak this over you? Praise, praise team, you can join us up front. Andrew Murray says the central message of the Old Testament is that God is holy, and the central message of the New Testament is that God is Father. All together, Scripture, the, the entire message of the Scriptures culminates in this, that you are the Holy Father. Because this is so important to everything that you do, God, we know that if there is one thing that the enemy, your enemy, attacks, it's this. He comes at us so hard that we would not live like children. That we would not believe that you are truly Father. That we would not receive your Son. God, May your spirit through the blood of Christ who became like us in every way and is therefore our perfect high priest. Just like we read in Psalm 110 to start the service and just like it says later in Hebrews you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek and because you are a priest forever, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek and because you are the perfect high priest, your sacrifice has made us clean, white as snow once and for all and because we are clean and we stand before you justified and made righteous by the cross of Christ and the work of God in our lives, we can stand confidently in this. You are our Father and we are your children. I pray that every single person in this room, God, all the Parker Ford Church, the church in this region and beyond, God, would receive this truth that we are the children of God and you are our Abba Father. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.